What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The following program is intended for immature audiences only. Don't think, just listen. Coast to coast, border to border, and around the world, you're going online with Bill Alexander. Hi, everyone. Yours truly, Bill Alexander, and welcome to Online with Bill Alexander, brought to you in part by Phil Giannetti Motors, providing quality vehicles for over 50 years, here on WMCK.FM and also on Fayette TV Channel 77. So hope everything's going fine for you uh, this week, and I hope you're going to be able to sit back and enjoy the program tonight. couple things to cl- do a little house cleaning this evening is that any of you guys that have been going to my uh, podcast site, italkradio.us, the host service has been having difficulty over the last few days, and they should have everything up and running this evening. I've been in correspondence with them back and forth, and everything should be good. Um, If there is an issue, all you have to do is go to the main website now, which is italknet.com, and then you can find out all the online Bill Alexander programming, from the videos to the audios to the link to WMCK, um, and also to Fayette TV Channel 77. So I just wanted to get that house cle- uh, housekeeping out of the way, and I was uh, glad to be able to do that. Another thing that has been brought to my attention, and I did not realize this, someone emailed me this week and asked me what was in my glass that I drink every week when I do the it's black coffee. It's very cold <laughs> black coffee. Um, when I used to do the cooking show on uh, local radio, uh, it was dubbed the Bill Alexander by Mario Pareca, the guy I used to host a program with. And I still, I mean, I have a, an addiction to it. So it is black coffee. Just to let you know, there's nothing else in it. It's just straight caffeine. But anyhow, that's neither here nor there. Welcome to this week's show. Tonight, we have a very interesting guest. I don't really know what I can say about him to build, really describe him. Other than he's done pretty much anything that you can imagine, from writing a book, from being an actor, from being homeless, <laughs> to do pretty much everything. And it wasn't like it happened purposely. It actually did happen purposely. It wasn't something that, that it was out of his control. He actually decided he was going to live for about a year without using any money. And it's a really great idea. His name is Steve McAllister. Steve, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. So again, it's really an interesting concept that you decided you were going to live about a year without actually having any regular income coming in to write your book called Money, Sex, Power, and Faith, Questioning the Building Blocks of Civilization, How Our Culture Was Developed by Weaving Together Debt, Patriarchy, Violence, and Religion, and How We Evolved from There. That is a mouthful. So <laughs> what gave you this idea to write this book and to live this way for about a year? Well, you know, I had I'd kind of been inspired about a, a decade before that to go, and, and I traveled the country, and I, I hitchhiked across, and I, I visited 
for about a year and a half, I traveled and I visited different intentional communities, uh, from hippie communes to yoga ashrams and, and Buddhist monasteries, and, and tried to view other ways of living than the consumerist you know, culture that we live in right now. And uh, at the time that I decided to live with you without money, it was right after the you know 2008 recession, and everybody was really having an issue with money. Okay. And I noticed that we were kind of on a on a, on a bad course. And I, I figured, you know, that at least what I could do was to go without it and see what else life had to offer. So that's what I did. So what did you learn about yourself for that 11, 12 months that you were you had no regular income coming in? Uh, that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty resilient. Okay. <laughs> I learned that, you know, and, and, you know, about myself, just that, that I'm, I'm open to what the universe has to provide. You okay. Know? I have a, a pretty good amount of faith and it actually generally comes through pretty well. You know, uh, for, for the rest of us, I learned that we're capable of more than, than we often think that we are. We're often told that we are. So the the one thing when people when people hear that you live without money for a year, they usually think that you've you've given up everything you have. You go live under a bridge. You have a shopping cart and you have one blanket. But that's not what you did, is it? No, no, no. That's not that's not it at all. You know, it's it's living without money. You know, money is is a tool that we use to get a lot of the things that we want. Okay. But there are a number of other ways to get the things that we want. You know, and a lot of times it's really just kind of giving up what you think you want and opening your opening yourself up to more. And that's kind of what I was doing was was just kind of like, you know, OK, I'm not really interested in what the world says that I need. I just want to live a good life, create a strong community and be purposeful in, in what I do. And, uh, you know, I opened up doors to do that. One thing I thought was interesting is you said you helped work and I believe it was an organic garden that you actually yeah. have ate, that was the first time you've eaten as healthy as you have. And, <laughs> and and I'm going, that's really interesting to think about because you're, not that you were forced to do it, but it was a lifestyle that you chose, but yet it may have benefited you not only uh, mentally, but also physically. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think anytime, anytime you sacrifice something out of your life, uh, life is going to provide you a little bit more of something else. You know, and for me, that's, kind of what it provided for me. Okay. I, I got involved with uh, there's a group in Sarasota called Transition Sarasota. And, and Transition is a, literally a worldwide movement. Uh, but the one in Sarasota, they have a gleaning project. And gleaning goes back to biblical times okay. when they would, would, would say that, you know, leave the uh, outside of the, the your gardens and whatever, and leave those for the poor and the elderly, let them have those kind of foods. And so what we do in, here in Sarasota is we go to an a organic garden, that uh, organic farm, and we uh, glean everything that's left over after they do their harvests, and we give that out to the, the uh, all-faith food bank so that people who are food insecure can have fresh organic food. And then from that, we you know gr- grab a, a bag full of food for ourselves. Okay. And so it was one of those things for me to give back to the community, but it also provided me, just like, like you said, one of the most healthy diets that I've ever had in my life. So what, what was that? Did you do that on a, on a, a daily or a weekly basis, or was that just something you did for a short period of time and then you moved on? 
the well, the gleaming project it, it happens on Monday mornings is okay. when they usually do that. As far as where we go here, so it was just once a week. Okay, uh, and it's kind of seasonal, you know. And in, in Florida here, we have a, a different growth season than everybody else. Yes, usually everybody else plants in the spring and they harvest in the fall. Whereas okay. in Florida, it's just too hot, <laughs> so we do things a little differently around here. So. Um... So that, that, that bag of food you were able to collect on money, that would last you for a full week? Um, partly. You know, I mean, it would subsidize a lot of what I eat. But, okay. but, you know, a lot of what I did was I just got involved in my community, really. I, I kind of put it out there as to what I was doing and let people know what I was doing and, and just put it out there. And so that I would have other people. I had friends who would feed me or, you know, uh, go to different places and there would be food. You know, I mean, there's in America, there's a lot of food, right? You know, and we we throw away forty percent of it just because we don't think it's market ready. So, it's it's one of those things that just just by being open to living in the world, I was just kind of uh, food was made available. Okay, uh, yeah, that sell by date is a big misnomer. That's not a use by date; it's a sell by date. Absolutely. And that's, yeah, there's, a, there's a huge difference in that. A lot of people don't get. Yeah, and they don't understand that. Um, the other thing you mentioned in the beginning when you first did this, a friend of yours gave you gift cards for work that you did? Yeah, that was about, I don't know, probably halfway through. Okay. I had a guy who gave me some, some gift cards, you know, and it, it was just a couple. But, you know, I, I haven't made a huge uh, thing out of, you know, promoting my year without money because, you know, there, there was – uh, you know, as, as I said in the, in the beginning of the book, that you know there was a guy who gave me some gift cards, and there's money involved in that. And you know, just just living in the world, even though I was I was uh, when I was staying at places, I was usually bartering for work. Okay. You know, I would go in and, and, and work in a place that needed some renovations and things like that. But someone was always paying for the power or the Wi-Fi or the water or okay. whatever. And so, I mean, money was always used, you know, and, and I live in America. We are more addicted to money than any other nation on the planet. Yes. So there's very little, you know, it's just not viable for anyone to live in this country without the use of money at, totally. Right. And so I, I gave myself a little bit of <laughs> leniency in that regard. So so in other words, you, you pretty much live without the true dependency to money. You are actually doing services to receive goods Basically, the way that was been done um, many, many years ago when this uh, country was started, because you would provide a service and then someone would pay you in either, like you said, food or whatever it may be. Yeah, basically. Yeah. It's now, just looking for other ways to do things. Now, yeah. the other thing you I thought I mean? was interesting is that you you were in a uh, you were videotaping um, a, a uh, music performance and the band didn't show up. And instead, you got on stage with your guitar, and you decided that you were going <laughs> to yeah. sing. Yeah, that was it. Was uh, it was a very early on in the thing. It was just one of those things that that I uh, had been in. I worked on a barter situation with a, a local bar to go and videotape some stuff for kind of an account. And yeah, one of the bands didn't show up, and I, you know, I had my backpack and my guitar, so I got up and. And, and played a set, so it was kind of fun. So, how long have you been playing music? 
Um, well, I started playing guitar in college, which is, uh, oh, God, a couple of decades ago. <laughs> yeah, I started playing a while ago, and then, you know, it's just one of those things. It's kind of just run through uh, my life, okay. and it's one of those things that I've kind of gotten better at in the last few years, I would say. Okay. So any other odd jobs that you had during this period of time that you may have not thought you would have never done before? Oh, God. Well, you know, a lot of the things I have done before, I mean, I did some pet sitting gigs along the way, and I did a lot of a lot of uh, uh, construction, carpentry, okay. demolition, that kind of thing. But all of that stuff, you know, I'd, I'd done before. So it was just kind of building on a lot of the skills that I had. So I was able to, to use those to my benefit. Because I've always wondered if, if if you ever get in that situation, if you would actually do something that you've never done before or never thought you could do before. But as you said, the things that you did, you were actually familiar with. Um, for the most part, yeah. But I mean, you know, I'm, I'm always open for doing things I've never okay. done before. You know, I mean, I mean, a lot of I think that's a, a lot of the part of life is to do things you've never done before. You know, I mean, we're brought into this world. We haven't done a whole lot of things. But as we as we get older and we grow, that we do new things, and that's part of it of what it's about. And I think a lot of people actually don't do that enough. We just right. continue to do the things that we're trained to do, and we think that we can do, and we kind of limit ourselves. And I think the more that we're able to open ourselves up and and do things that we have never done before, then the better off we're going to be. So, what do you think you learned about yourself over this year? Uh, about myself. Um, yeah, that I'm that I'm resilient, that but but that I'm also you know not as uh, you know uh, stuck on meeting immediate goals. You know, the the, the, the uh, throughout the year it, it, it became less important for me to go a whole year without using money than it was to really get involved in my community and um, provide a new life for myself. You know, so it wasn't about the, 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 the goal that I started with that was actually important. Okay. And I think that a lot of people, as we move forward, we, we kind of got to realize that the immediate goal we set for ourselves isn't as important as the actual growth that we have along the way. Now, I think it's interesting. You said you got more involved with your community. Um, yeah. what, what do you think you got out of that? Because where I'm at right now, there's a big push for community involvement. It's, it's a, it's a small town that's had some financial problems over the last 30 years. And there's a group of people now trying to get involved and take part in, in bringing the community back. And I know what I get out of it, but I'm asking you, what do you, what do you think you got out of it? Were you, were you working with your community before, or was this something new that you, you thought would be interesting to try? Well, it's 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 uh, I was a little involved in the community before, not 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 as much as I as I was, but I think you know, as as we look at the world that we're in, there's a lot of discussion about dystopia and the world falling apart and apocalypse and war and all that kind of stuff, and I think the best emergency management that any of us can find is to get to know our neighbors, okay, you know, and really start building community. And that's the, that's the most important thing I think I found about myself and about the world that we're living in. Mm-hmm. You know, the the best thing we can do to prepare for whatever's going to come our way is to really get to know our neighbors and start to, do, to to develop some community within us. You know, it's a challenging thing because in America, this is like the first time that that, that humans 
set up where they weren't in community and right. weren't in family. You know? right. Everybody moved over here and they emigrated and they weren't next to their families the way they had been for generations and generations. And so we're kind of a experiment in a lot of ways on how to actually build community with people that you're not related to and you don't really actually know. So that's that's the thing that I would hope that most people uh, gain from anything that I do is to, to connect with your neighbors. The other thing that I've taken away working with community recently is that um, we've actually done more harm to the community because of technology that we're using that everybody has their face in the phone or they're on the internet or doing that. And that's the way they're communicating. They're not actually talking to anybody anymore. And I think that has a lot to do with, with a community collapsing because people are so, so involved in their own lives that they don't see what's going on around them. Yeah. The social media, it's, it's a, you know, it, it's a, a plus and a negative all in the same thing because you know, you, you have this, this ability to be able to connect with, with, with meetups and with groups and with, with uh, events and those kind of things, unlike we've ever had before. But like you said, there's also the ability to, like, you know, totally just sink into your phone and submerge into your phone and not communicate with people like you should, you know. And it's one of those things that, that like, we're going to have to actually grow up and be adult and be mature and try to figure out how to use the technologies and the tools that we have in the best way that we possibly can and grow from them. You know, it's, it's so it, we have a great tool that allows us to get more involved in our community. Right. But absolutely, you're right. It can also very, very, very much distract us from our communities as well. Well, I knew there was a problem when I was out to dinner a while back and I saw a family sitting across from my wife and I and all four of them were on their phone. None of them were talking. They were texting each other. Mm. And that's yeah, that happens quite a lot. A, a good bit. Now, you've written th not only this book, The uh, Money, Sex, Power, and Faith, you've actually written seven books. Uh, the Poetry yeah. of a Cowboy Cabaret, How to Survive... Yeah. Uh, uh, what's that? The uh, I can't read that. Unfortunately, <laughs> Estralarian. Thank you. What is Estralarian? Uh, Estralarians are a certain type of alien. That, okay. Uh, in that particular book, yeah, they're a certain type of alien. They came down and they gave me an Estralarian mind melt. <laughs> you really believe that? You really believe that happened, or is this fiction? Oh, it's fiction. Oh, okay. <laughs> kind of scared me there for a minute. <laughs> At so, least that's what I tell people. Okay. So the poetry of a cowboy <laughs> cabaret, and uh, we're, we'll talk about yeah. your uh, your your uh, music and, and your acting here real soon. What what got you interested in cowboys? Oh, man. I You know, I, I'm a Florida boy, you know, and, and, and down in Florida, we're called crackers. And, okay. Uh, it's not just because we're white, we're white folk, but it's because this is cowboy country. You know, they came in, they were cracking the bullwhips. And that's how Florida Floridians got their name. So I was, you know, I, I grew up with cows and horses, and, and cowboy had always just been a thing for me. And uh, when I went out to Los Angeles several years ago, that was like the first gig I got was being a cowboy on a TV show. So it was very much, you know, up my alley. So what TV and, show uh, was it? Oh, it was a pilot called uh, Along Came Jones, and it, it didn't get picked up. But I got to meet uh, Melissa Gilbert, you know, who was, who was Laura Ingalls. Okay. She was the producer of the show and a star of the show. That's so I was cool. like, you know, shoot. <laughs> yeah, right? 
So it was, it was a big win for me. And you also wrote the book uh, Survival Tactics. Your no, top 100 items for an... Uh, <laughs> is it really? It's not you? Yeah, that's another one. Oh, <laughs> Unfortunately, okay. I have a pretty popular name. And there's like another author called Steve McAllister. And he's like a, a total survivalist. And, and yeah, does all this amazing stuff. If I was you, I, 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 if I were you, I, I'm, I'm going through the list because I have... Uh, I'm going, wait a minute. <laughs> But uh, yeah, your 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 uh, Asterian mind uh, mind meld is is here, and um, yeah. that and the uh, ru- the is it the R U C K sack letters, uh, rucksack rucksack. What's that one about? Yeah, the, the rucksack letters was something I wrote. Uh, I, I traveled about a, about a year and a half around the country, and that's what I was saying before when I when I visited different um, intentional communities. Okay. And largely, I was I was inspired by Jack Kerouac, who wrote On the Road yes. and the Dharma Bums. And in the, the book, the Dharma Bums, he, he talked about the rucksack revolution, okay. where you know the young people would, would take to the streets and take to the hills just with nothing but their rucksacks and just leave the material world behind and make old people laugh and young girls smile and sing songs and do poetry and that sort of thing. And so that was kind of my impetus for going out and traveling the country was to say, you know what, there's, there's a better way of, of doing things. So that's what I did. So I'm getting a theme here that you can't stay in one place for a long period of time. <laughs> Is that true? You know, that, that I would think that was true. But, you know, I, I moved back to Sarasota in 2004, and I've been here ever since. Oh, okay. So apparently it's not entirely true. <laughs> but there is a part of me that's, that's always, you know, it's, it's yearning for more. You know, and so I'm always trying to do something new and something different and, and looking for what that next big thing is. Um, but it doesn't, it's not necessarily a geographic thing. Okay. It's just about, I'm looking for what's coming next. Okay. Um, when, when we talk about, you, you, as you mentioned, you're an actor, you're an author, you a music, uh, a, a writer, a filmmaker, everything else. What do you consider your main career or is it just everything rolled into one <laughs> yeah I, I wish i knew okay <laughs> it's <laughs> it's pretty much yeah it's everything rolled into run uh, rolled into one just just being steve is is, is job enough <laughs> it sounds like it is i mean it really <laughs> sounds tough but i i'm looking at your website which is stevemc.xyz and if you go through the tabs, you have actor, author, filmmaker, the new book, music, talk radio host, and Will Rogers Revived. Now, everybody knows who Will Rogers is. What is Will Rogers really? Revived? I Well, most people that I've talked to that are my age, and I'm in my, uh, my early to mid-50s, um, okay. have a background with Will Rogers. So... Most of my audience would too. So, what is yeah. Will Rogers revived? Well, I'm I, I'm 47. Okay, and uh, about about two years ago, I was I was cast uh, and asked to read for this this role uh, in the community theater doing the Will Rogers Follies. Okay, which was a, a which was a, a Broadway show that came out in the 90s. Yes, based on Will Rogers. Who had like the, the highlight of his career was around you know the nineteen teens to nineteen thirty five when he died you know and when he was alive he was the biggest celebrity of his time 
And he was very similar to, to what I am. He was a polymath because he was, he was a, an incredible rope, uh, rope spinner. I mean, to, to, to watch what he could do with a rope is just amazing. Uh-huh. And, and then he was also a humorist on stage and on screen, on the radio, on the, in the newspapers, and he did, like, everything. So I was asked to read for this, and I, I, I found out a little more about this guy, and I just fell in love. And uh, I started reading more about him as I was playing the role and realized that there was a lot of things that he wrote that weren't included in the Will Rogers Follies show. Okay. So I took a lot of his writings, and I created a one-person performance based on Will Rogers' writings, because, you know, he, he talked a lot about uh, the government as it was back in the literally right. 100 years ago, and he talked about the Republicans and the Democrats and the differences between them and, and, and taxes and a lot of things that we talk about now. And the fact that he was talking about them 100 years ago and making so light of them, uh, and, and, and that we're still 100 years later giving them such severity now. It's, right. it's one of those things that I just really felt needs to be brought up back to get people thinking about, you know, that we give such credibility and credence to like our two parties. It's just ridiculous. Uh-huh. And so I, I love the fact that I can kind of go into audiences and, and, and make them think about that, you know, and, and, and uh, hopefully move on beyond it. With with the research you've done into Will Rogers, do you see any humorist today in 2019 that has the same type of impact that he did in the early 1900s? Well, it's it's challenging. You know, I mean, Will, Will Rogers was known. I mean, his biggest thing was, I never met a man I didn't like. Right. You know, and, and so where we are today with the humorist that I see regularly, it's it's uh, very difficult to find someone who likes Donald Trump, so to speak, you know? Okay. It's, it's really, it's so that, that makes it a really big challenge because most humorists, they no, they just don't like the guy. Right. You know, he is who he is. But, uh, but I think, yeah, it's it's hard to find somebody who was as down a homie and as just all shucks as he was, Mm. you know, I, I think more today, uh, a lot of our, our comedians need a little bit more edge, and it's a def- different political environment. You know, I don't even know if Will Rogers were alive today, if he could be as um, likable and as all shucks as he was back then. I was just gonna, I was just gonna time. ask you if you thought that if Will Rogers was alive today, that he would be as relevant as he was back then, because we have a different way of getting that information out to the public when he did it. It was radio, it was film, it was books, it was stage performances. We didn't even have the advent of TV at the time uh, when he yeah. when he was out. So I mean, and he when he was doing it was uh, the early invention of radio. But do you think that uh, because we have so much media today from your social media, from your Facebook, your Twitter, you have um, all these social media sites. For goodness sake, you have podcasting, you have radio, you have television, and this. Do you have? You think that there there may be someone there, or there's just so much noise out there that you would never be able to find someone like that. I would say there's so much noise out there that I haven't been able to find anyone like that. 
I'm, I'm open to anybody saying who that might be, but I haven't found anybody with quite the, the charisma that Will Rogers had. Well, I have a suggestion for you. You need to do okay. it then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was actually one of the last shows after the after the uh, after the show. Someone asked me, "Is anybody doing this stuff today?" And I was like, "Yeah, me." Well, I think it would <laughs> so be interesting. That's kind of what it is, and, and yeah. And so that's, that's kind of what I'm looking at now is like, how, how would Will Rogers respond to a lot of the things that are being said today? And it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head about it, but it's, it's in the works. I'm working on it. So we'll see what happens. On the phone with me right now is Steve McAllister here on WMCK.FM and also here on Fayette TV Channel 77 and italknet.com. I think what you need to do is you need to do a weekly podcast. You need to take something that's happening in the news or whatever it is, Put the Will Rogers spin on it, present it, and then release it to the public. I think if you could do that in the same down-home folksy type atmosphere and, and, and way, you'd actually probably have something. I think that's a really actually good idea, and I'm going to give that some thought. So if, I actually if, just I set up a I set up a sound booth in my house okay. a, a couple of weeks ago. And because I wanted to turn my book, the Money, Sex, Power, and Faith book, I wanted to turn it into an audio book. Okay. And so, like last week, I recorded the whole thing, and now I'm like three and a half hours into editing it all. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah, it's a very lengthy process. It's a lot of work. Yeah. And uh, yes, yeah, so anytime you listen to an audio book, you need to like you know just take a moment and, and honor the people who put all the time into it that it takes. But beyond that, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, very much serious thinking about about uh, podcasts and and how I can do that. You know, being a, a multimedia artist, it can be very difficult because a lot of things get very, very overwhelming. Yes. So like all the things that I can possibly do, and then when I get the ability to kind of bring it down to like, oh, all I got to do is use my voice. Right. Then it's a little bit more palatable and a little easier, I think. So. Uh, hopefully there'll be some stuff coming out here pretty soon. Because I think that'd be very interesting. And like you said, no one else is doing it, and there is a place for it in our society. Now, I'm looking under your tab where it shows you as an actor. Have you been acting uh -huh. for a long period of time? Uh, yeah, I guess I started acting. I mean, you know, in, in, the, uh, God, in my late 20s or so. Okay. You know, and it's one of those things that's kind of come off and on here and there, uh, uh, in the last uh, decade or so, I haven't really pursued it so much, but it's, it's one of those things that just kind of came. <laughs> and so people would ask me to come read for something or, or if I would play in a role and stuff. And so that's, that's unfortunately, uh, how a lot of these things came to be. Okay. I was just asked to go, go do it. So, so it's, it's been cool and it's a lot of fun to be able to go. And um, the, the, the last play that I did was called Silence the Musical, and it was a, uh, a musical parody of Silence of the Lambs. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That must have been really so entertaining. Oh, my gosh. It was so much fun. And it was one of those where I could play, like, in the same play, a number of roles right. that I'd never done before. Oh, that's so That was funny. really a lot of fun. That, yeah. is, that is funny. And, and also, if you look here, you also are a filmmaker. What Are you doing small films, documentaries? What type of films are you making? Uh, yeah, largely they've been, been small films and, and, and web series and those kind of things and, and doing stuff mostly for online stuff. I have done some other stuff that was, that's been released out into 
to some film festivals and stuff, but it, it's been a little while for that. Mostly right now, I'm focused on more of the web series and, and what's available for people online. And is any of that stuff anybody would be familiar with, or is it just all basically uh, basically focused on the Sarasota, Florida area? Well, you know, like anybody, we we always hope that people would be <laughs> interested in right. what we're doing. Uh, but the last big thing that I did, uh, it was like a 12-part series about homelessness in Sarasota, so very much with a uh, social justice kind of uh, bent toward it. And when did, and when um, but, did you uh, do when did you do that? Uh, that was a little bit after I was, I was uh, after I lived with, without money for for a while. That was so, I was going to ask know, you uh, that. Yeah, because obviously those two things go hand in hand, right? You know, I mean, in America, if you don't have money, then yeah, you're going to be homeless, right? It's just the way that it, the way that it is. And so there was a part of me that really wanted to look at, you know, what that situation was like. You know, in Sarasota here, we were, for a number of years, were called by um, one of the big organizations, one of the meanest cities to homeless people. Um, and so we've done a little bit to, to kind of assuage that, but not nearly enough. We haven't, like, ended homelessness in Sarasota or anything. Okay. And I really don't know if there's, there's a possibility to do that. But it was one of those things that I really wanted to look at to see what was going on, what the possibilities are. And, and there was a big kind of community uprising uh, about 10 years ago about how do we end homelessness here in Sarasota. Okay. And I was trying to highlight that and say, you know, what can we do? And in the hopes that maybe other cities around the, the country and around the world could also take some benefit from that. When you were living without money for the year, did you yeah. meet anybody... Um, uh, how do I, very interesting because they were in the same, I mean, you chose to be in that situation, but the, those people did not. Did you meet anybody that, uh, you would try to tell their story or champion for? Um, uh, you know, during that time I, I was doing some of the, the homeless, yeah. uh, videos. And so there were a couple of people that were, I told their story. Okay. But there wasn't necessarily anybody that I actually met okay. in physically that I could tell their story. However, when I was doing that, I was also, you know, and, and beyond that, I've looked at other people. Like uh, Mark Boyle is another guy who was in the U.K., you know, and he lived like four years without money. And he wrote a book called The Moneyless Manifesto, uh, which was just phenomenal, you know. And, and so there, there are guys like that that I can look at who, you know, when I... When I uh, <laughs> look at what i did i'm like you know it was a really nice endeavor but that guy did it really the right way you know rob greenfield is another one who he's living in orlando and he's not necessarily living moneyless but he's been doing things like you know i'm gonna live a year with uh only eating food that i can forage for or grow myself okay you know and he'll put himself up to a much higher standard than i did you know, I was, I mean, to be honest, I was kind of pathetic in <laughs> the way that I did it. And there are other people who just, like, were so much more resilient and so much more stronger right. than, than, than I was and did, just, did such an amazing job. So, and it, you know, and that's one of the things. is It's not just me who's kind of seeing that money is overtaking the way that we're doing things and we're trying to find better ways. There's a lot of other people who are saying, you know, there's, there's better ways of doing things, and I want to find out what that is. Now, there's a part in the book where you mentioned that you didn't have to really dumpster dive, but you decided you wanted to try it anyhow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's you know, I had, I, had uh, I think I'd seen a documentary about it, actually, before I even did this whole year without money. 
and I, I went 11 months without ever actually even doing it. Uh, and it wasn't until the 11th month that I, that I said, you know what, all right, let's, let's give this a shot. And it was kind of just for fun. But um, after starting to do it, I was just like blown away. I don't think I've ever heard food. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that they 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 thought dumpster diving was fun. I really don't think I would. <laughs> I, that was the last phrase I think I'd hear anybody say. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I like I like finding good deals. I guess you know, I like finding things that other people don't find, and um, and that's one of those things. You know, it's when you like look into a dumpster and you see that, like, oh my gosh, there's all this amazing stuff that was just thrown away, and it's still really good food, and it's. it's so good and you know it's it just uh was kind of incredible about how much stuff was in there that was still good i think the frustrating part about that and just what i what i know goes on because i know people in the restaurant industry is that they do throw away perfectly good food because mm-hmm. they can't sell it or they can't donate it which is just a shame because it, it, it's just just a waste. And like you said before, 40% yeah. of the food in our in our uh, food cycle actually gets thrown away for the most part, even before it even goes bad, it gets thrown away. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I would think, you know, that, that 40% number that we're talking about, I think that's, that's before you get to the point where it gets to the grocery store. Right. And it's probably even higher than that when you think about the things that like, oh, well, it's, it's, it's past the sell-by date or the mm-hmm. best-by date, and so now it's just garbage, you know? And I think that's that's one of the real problems that we have with not only in our country, but the way that our economy works, right. you know? And that's, that's uh, you know, we, we spread that onto a number of countries now where it's like, you know, if you can't sell something for money, well, then it's worthless, you know? Right. And we don't think about the fact that this is actually valuable to, to sustaining human life. That's That's not an important thing to us anymore. It's just a matter of how much money can we make off of it. And if we can't make any money off of it, well, then it's just garbage. And we should start thinking about, well, how can this support our community? How can this support other people who are maybe food insecure? Because there's a lot of things that we could do. And I know a lot of the the grocery stores throw a lot of stuff out because they can't give it away to communities. Or to 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 charity or, or whatnot, right? But you know there there are laws in place that actually protect those stores. And you know if you if you give some food away and someone gets sick off of it, you're actually still protected. You oh, know, I didn't realize like that. You're going to get sued. Yeah, yeah. There's actually there's laws in place that protect people from that. Okay. So the, the fact that people throw things away just because they're afraid of being sued, you know, it's just uh, it's not 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 good. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about the book is the title is Money, Sex, Power, and Faith. And yeah. we talk about money being the, the, the main, I don't want to say the main evil, but it all ties in together. And can you explain how the whole power, I mean, I, I think I understand how the power ties in, but how about faith and money? Well, when you think about, I mean, our, our civilization as we know it has roughly been going for about 10,000 years, and that's when we started keeping track of things. And one of the first things we started keeping track of was, was our ledgers, you know, was our money. Uh, and shortly after that was our, our, our faith and writing down our religion and right. our stories and, and all those kind of things. You know, and I mean, the fact that the Bible mentions money more times than it mentions heaven kind of like points to how much that religion lends credibility to our monetary situation okay. and really becoming consumed with it. 
And so a lot of that is what I touched on in the book as to how we got to the point where we're accepting uh, all of these different facts that we're supposed to accept and what's really true and what's not. The one thing I thought was interesting, and I never thought about it before, or at least if I did, it was something that was fleeting, is just the way we write money down is that yeah. we put the dollar sign in front because it should say if we have $99, the way we write it would be dollars ninety nine giving that right. that symbol that 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 monetary value all the power in that statement but if we're doing 99 cents the symbol is after it and sure. teaching someone how to read and write and read that symbol has to be one of those things that we have to focus on because we are putting money in the forefront of most everything we do yeah, when we write down the, the a monetary sign, you know that's that's really the only thing that I can think of where we put the, the symbol before the actual number. Right. You know, as you said, when you have ninety nine cents, you put the cents after ninety nine percent. It's it's after the, the the number. You know, with money is the only one that we put the dollar sign first, and and uh, I think uh, part of that is because when we get into the cents and you get into the decimals, it can be a little challenging. So maybe it's just a brevity thing for that. But I think there is something to how we've kind of been trained to always put that first. And we in our society definitely put it first, and we really shouldn't. I mean, considering the fact that, as I pointed out in the book, that, you know, I mean, our, our money, what we know is, is the dollar, right. it's just been a fiat currency since 1971, which means it doesn't have any intrinsic value right. whatsoever, you know, it's, there's, there's no value to it at all. It's just what we believe that it is. And so that we put that so much more important than things like air and water yes. and community and the environment and those kind of things. It's really one of those things that we really need to revisit and say, okay, what's really, really important here? Because this little dollar symbol, it really isn't. So how do you think we can actually go back and we put money back in perspective and put community first. How do you teach a young person that money is not the be all to end all, but we need to focus more in our community than we do on that? Well, I think a lot of those works are underway. You know, I mean, my book, my book out there is, is one of those things. And so, yeah, everybody should read my book. But <laughs> beyond that, there's a lot of things that are going out there, you know, like when you have like universal basic income, that's becoming one of those things that's a big uh, conversation now, right. and it's being being brought up in the Democratic primaries by Pete Buttigieg, or how do you, how do you say his name, Buttigieg, Buttigieg and, and yeah. other other folks, Buttigieg and, and uh, Marianne Williamson, and the other people who are running for for uh, Democratic president this year, and that's becoming into the to the fourth uh, forefront, and I think um, by and large. You're getting a lot more people who are recognizing that there's a, a lot of limitations in our monetary system and who are looking at how do we do uh, more of a resource-based economy okay. and, and that sort of thing. You know, like you had uh, what is his name? Jacques Fresco from the, the Venus Project come out a few years ago, and he, he just died actually a couple of years ago. But, I mean, he's been very much uh, a futurist and looking at how do we do things in the future and looking at more of a resource-based economy. So it's not just based on the money and just counting up those kind of things, but making sure that how do we make sure that people get what it is that they need in order to live the lives that they want, and then we move on from there. And I think it's just a, kind of a natural thing that, that, that this 
this generation, I think, is a little bit more apt to get it than previous generations before. You know, this is the first generation that's grown up completely digital. I mean, they're all right. digital natives. They were growing yeah. up with iPhones in their hand and stuff. Right. And so, I mean, for, for you and I, you know, we weren't, grown, we weren't brought up like that. Right. You know, and for the generation that's before us, uh, which is like in, in leadership now, they're just completely clueless. And they're totally entrenched in the way things were back in the high point of America's happiness in 1956. Right. You know, so now we're at a point where people are just kind of acclimating to the way things are. So I think it's largely going to be a natural kind of a realization of, oh, yeah, the way we've been doing, doing things is ridiculous. Let's, let's do things better. What I think is interesting, I was with a group of people on Monday, and we were talking about this, which I didn't realize it would tie into what you and I are talking about. And they said one yeah. thing that they're noticing an issue with is that motivating the young people today, the 20-somethings, are not motivated by money. They're motivated right. by other things, like the environment, sure. like sure. community, like family. And we haven't seen that in a long time. And it's throwing some yeah. people on their ear because they don't know how to connect with them. But yet I think the younger right. generation, in a lot of ways, have a, has a better handle on what's going on in today's society because I think they understand that that's what the priority needs to be and they need to focus on that in the, in the uh, future. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and these guys, you know, as I said, the digital natives are grown up with a lot of the knowledge and information that we weren't uh, privy to when we were growing up. Right. You know, so they grow up knowing that, yeah, last year, 82% of the income that came into the United States went to 1% of the population. Right. And so they look at that and they're like, wait a minute, 82% of everything that I did went to 1% of the population? You know, and then they're rethinking that. And that's really what's going to be important is to look at back statistics. I know a lot of people don't like that in this day and age, but those are the kind of things that need to be done. And this generation, I think, is looking at those things. And they're saying, you know, what's really important about the life that I lead and what's going to happen to me? You know, and, and so it's, it's uh, I think, encouraging that you're seeing this, this generation come up and realizing that, there are more important things than just ledgers. Yeah, and I and I and I agree with you on that because they're more worried about being internally happy and not yeah. monetarily happy. And I think that I think that's important for a lot of people because us growing up, um, especially my age and the people that I associate with, money was always the main focal point. And if you didn't have money, you weren't happy. And there's sure. a lot of people that are, I mean, what it's done to them internally, uh, mentally and physically, because that was always the way we were taught to value our lives was on how much money you had, how big of the house you had, how big of the car, no matter what it was. But yet you still didn't have those things that you were able to relate to that, quote unquote, made you happy. Right. So I, yeah. I think it's a very interesting concept, and you're touching it in your book. Now, are you looking at writing another one, another book? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's funny. The the book that I just I released, The Money, Sex, Power, and Faith, it, it actually developed because I had a lot of things that I'd written during my year without using money. Right. And I was trying to take all those writings and, and put them into a cohesive narrative order and I, I couldn't quite do it. And so I said, you know, I need to put this in context. Let's look at the history of money. 
And that <laughs> set off to this whole other book, uh, you know, that, that came out of that. So, so the next one, I don't know if it, it, the next one is actually going to be a lot of the writings that I wrote during that time. They may have just been, um, I don't know, blogs that I put out. Right. But largely I'm looking at, you know, how do we direct it from there? You know, I, I look at the economy right now and see things that I've been promised a democracy since I was brought into this world. Right. You know, and, and right now we, we have a republic. Right. And anybody exactly. who really studies government, we know. No, we don't actually have a democracy. We have a republic. Right. And it's a, it's a different operational style. But, you know, until now, we've never had, as, as a species, we've never had the technology to have a democracy before. Right. And it's one of those things that I'm really looking forward to at least trying out. You know, and I know a lot of people are really scared of it because they think that it's mob rule and, and, and all that. But, I, you know, I look at the, the republic that we have right now, and it's, it's like point zero 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 one seven percent of the population is making decisions for all of us. It's a very small portion. And I would feel a little bit better, even though I know that the American people may be largely um, uneducated on a lot of things, I'd be a little bit more comfortable, at least about putting it into the hands of people who want to weigh in on things that actually affect them. And I think that we need to turn our, our economy a little bit upside down right. in order to do that. So that's, that's what my next book is, is about. It's, it's called uh, ABC Squared Economics. So that means, uh, in, yeah. in, in the book, yeah. are you going to focus on, on the way money affects our government, on how uh, the people that, are, that, that have the money are the ones that are in charge? It's like whoever has the toys, they're the ones that are in power. And and how well, actually, I think it's about you know a lot of it is about taking our power back, right? You know the the, the ABC squared that I mentioned in ABC squared economics is about the artistry okay. that we we all have. We are all artists of our own life, you know. Right. So we have what part of our money that comes in we can do what we want, create the art of our lives. Part of that's going to be our business, okay. where we're going to have to provide a service in the world and get people to use that service. Part of that's going to be our citizenry, whereas. You know, we have to pay for the infrastructure that goes into our world, you know, and, and right now that's taken through taxes where, right. you know, when you get paid, generally the government just takes that money and they spend it however they want to and uh, you do what you got to do, you know. And then uh, the other C in there is a charity of how do you how do you give some of that money away to make sure that when you walk down the street, you don't see any suffering because you already taken care of it. And I think the way that we're looking at now that I mean, when, when I graduated high school in 1989, there was 17% of the population that was a freelance. Okay, now it's about 37% and okay. growing because more and more we're, we're becoming the gig economy. And so we're all signing our 1099s and yes. promising that, yeah, yeah, okay, IRS, I'll catch up with you in April. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and some people are actually doing that. You know, for me, I don't really, I don't feel comfortable giving money to the to the US government at this stage and, 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 and feeling that they're going to do things that are responsible with it. You know, I mean, even before we had the current president that we had, I've been very uh, hesitant about trusting this organization and the military industrial complex right. and, and those sorts of things, you know what I mean? So there's this part of me that I want to say, you know, how can I then direct the, the income that I make 
and direct that in the place that I know that it's it's paying for the things that need to be paid for. You know, I don't want to just live and sponge off of everything that goes on or right. around me. I want to be able to feed back into it. And I think that a lot of people really do as well. You know, we want to pay our part. We want to be involved. We want to participate in our lives. And I think that we now, for the, probably the first time in human history, are given the opportunity to do that in a way that we've never been had never had before. I, it's a very interesting. It's a very interesting concept, and I look forward to the, for the book coming out because I think you're looking at it differently than other people probably would because of the way your life is set up. Is that you are not just focused on your community and society, but you're focused on what makes you tick what makes you happy you understand who you are and i think there's a lot of people out there that don't know who they are and they're just following and going through the motions and they have no clue what's going on around them and they're doing what they're being told to do and they're not questioning it like you are yeah i, I totally agree you know and, and there's there's a lot of things that, that people ask me a lot of things like why do you do what you do you know right why don't you have a car you know i'm like well i'm in this situation where I don't need to have a car and I can get by without having a car and so I shouldn't have a car because there's a lot of other people they 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 can't you know literally can't live in this society without one right I can so I do and so for other things like that if I'm I'm given a capability that other people aren't given capability to do then I want to do that because that's what distinguishes me from anybody else so if anybody else out there has a capability of doing something other people can't do, do it. Right. That's why you're here. Well, Steve, I appreciate you uh, taking almost an hour of your time tonight to talk about it. And again, I, I apologize about the snafu last night. And before I let you go, is there anything you want to tell my audience? Oh, thanks for listening. Um, if you want to uh, check out other, my, my other writings or uh, other things that are going on, Check out the website, stevemc.xyz. And uh, other than that, just keep on keeping on. Well, that sounds great, Steve. And I'll put the uh, the link to your new book, uh, Money, Sex, Power, and Faith, on my website. So if anybody wants to get it, they can get it through Amazon. And uh, we'll keep in touch. It was a very interesting uh, uh, program this evening, and I uh, appreciate you taking time talking talking with me this evening. Well, thanks, Bill. I appreciate you having me on. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. You have a great night. You do the same. Okay, bye-bye. Steve McAllister, uh, author of the book Money, Sex, Power, and Faith. He's also in a uh, uh, revival of Will Rogers Revived, which I think would be very interesting. Uh, next time we have him on, we'll have him actually. Uh, I, I, I should have asked him tonight to actually do some of the stuff that he does as Will Rogers. But that's probably for another program for another time. But again, very interesting concept. And if, if you're interested in a, a, a good read, it's one of those summer reads. Um, it's called Money, Sex, Power, and Faith. It's available at Amazon.com. And it's a digital download also. So you can either get the paperback version of it or the digital download. I had the opportunity of reading the uh, digital download. Um, so again, again, it's just, just very interesting to uh, be a part of. And don't forget to uh, that you can listen to this program every Tuesday at 9 
every Thursday at noon and every Sunday at 5 p.m. You can also watch us uh, sporadically and throughout the week at Fayette TV Channel 77, and we're going to be doing some more stuff there. We have some radio personalities coming in over the next few weeks. Uh, we have... Chauncey Ross will be joining us sometime in June. We have Dave Dragason, formerly of WMBS Radio, and also of other radio stations in the area. Chris Lash, who is a radio station owner down south, who has a big connection to southwestern Pennsylvania. He will be on the program soon. Rumor is Jimmy Roach is going to be joining me. We haven't touched base with him yet, but he uh, he said that... Uh, Bill, I'll get back to you. And if, if you say, Bill, I'll get back to you, that means you're going to be on the program eventually. <laughs> so that's good news, right? Anyway, so uh, we're, we're going to be doing that. We have a, um, I believe we have a mother mother-son team on next week, if not next week, the following week. I don't have my list in front of me is what the problem is. Um, uh, uh, it, it, my calendar actually is in the trunk of my car. So I don't have that with me, so I can't share it with you. But don't forget, you're listening to Online with Bill Alexander and watching Online with Bill Alexander being brought to you in part by Phil Giannetti Motors, providing quality vehicles for over the past 50 years as we broadcast live from the Phil Giannetti studio located here in Brownsville, Pennsylvania. So glad you were able to join us. We'll be back next week. Don't forget to check out the websites. But if you really want to get us the quick and easy way, all you have to do is go to italknet.com. Again, that's italknet.com, and you can also check us out. It's still there. It will always be there, the web address online with Bill Alexander. Well, that's going to wrap up this Hootenanny for tonight. I'm glad you were able to join us. We'll talk to you next time as you are listening and watching to Online with Bill Alexander with yours truly, Bill Alexander. Everybody, you have a great night, great day, great afternoon, great morning, and we'll talk to you next time.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.